You have clicked and spent zero credits to play 2.1, a Netrunner Reboot Project podcast. Episode 28, Disappointing His Mother. Hey, this is Remy. The title card for this week's episode is Thomas Haas, the uh, new asset for creation and control. The flavor text, we'll get into the abilities later, is Thomas, the director's son, has been carefully groomed to inherit the corporation since before he was born. His favorite pastime appears to be disappointing his mother. And yes, that's because creation and control is the focus of this week's episode, and it's going to be really, really the focus of the episode. You know, I've uh, listened to a lot of Netrunner podcasts back when I was first into the game, which was at the very beginning of its release. And it seemed like over time, your typical Netrunner podcast often devolved into pack reviews. And it's understandable. It's hard to continue to come up with new content. It's also, you've constantly got this new content that is coming, released cards. That's what people want to hear about. Now, that's not what I wanted this podcast to be. That's why you've never seen an episode yet where it's only been about the pack. Like, yes, I talk about each pack as they are introduced into the 2.1 group. Um, Partly that's because I just want to be reminded of what these cards do, and this is a really good way for that to happen for me. And partly, I mean, obviously I want to cover all of the things that have been changed in Reboot for people who are familiar with the cards already, but don't know how they have been, in most cases, improved for the Reboot project. But at the same time, I don't want the episodes only to be that. Which is why, which is why this episode has taken so long to come out. Because not only was there a lot to get through, because we're up to creation and control. Creation and control is a 55 card deluxe expansion, as opposed to the normal 20 card data pack. So that took me a lot of time to kind of do the analysis I wanted to do for reboot. But then I didn't want it to be just that, so I'm trying to come up with other ideas. I've got a lot of other ideas, but I didn't want something that was going to take up a lot of time because I knew it was already going to take a lot of time to do the reboot stuff. So I have an idea about talking about the pre-constructed decks. I started down that path, and that turned out to be a much longer topic than I have time for in this episode. Like, Let me at least do a deck list. And, of course... Gen Con of 2013, the huge 200-plus person tournament happened after the release of Creation and Control, before the release of the first data pack in the spin cycle. So perfect. But then there was so much conversation and discussion that I wanted to include, that turned out to be too long of a segment. Ah. Well, if I keep waiting, it's going to, the entire month will have gone by and I won't have done an episode at all. So, enough. So this episode is just going to be about the new cards and creation and control for the corpse side. And that's pretty much it. So, sorry. I will try not to have so many only card-focused episodes. Uh, But we might get a couple with these deluxe boxes. However, after that long ramble, I do have some breaking news. Breaking news. It is time for the winter reboot worlds. The fall reboot worlds was held a few months ago and was enjoyed greatly by those who were able to participate. Now, the goal is to have a winter worlds. The current target date for that is December 30th. That is a Saturday. Uh, Although, 
there is a little bit of flexibility, perhaps that might not work out, but we're looking for more people to join. So if you're hearing this and you've ever played Reboot, Reboot before and you have time on Saturday, December 30th to hop on to Retechie for mm, a few hours, play a few games, come on, join us. If you've, if you've never played Reboot before, now's the time. Get a deck together, grab a pre-constructed deck, just play. Winter Worlds, December 30th. Be there. Satellite Uplink. Creation and Control. The Corp side, not the runner side, because they put the Corp cards first in this expansion. This is the first deluxe expansion for the game. It was released July 29th, 2013, so almost 11 months after the core set came out. It ended a two-month meta that held sway for after the release of Future Proof, and then kicked off another two-month meta for creation and control. Opening moves doesn't come until the end of September 2013. So... Uh, that makes that's a fairly stable meta, two months, for the uh, the early part of the game. So a deluxe box comes with fifty five cards, as I said. In this case, the corp cards have twenty seven, and the runner cards are twenty eight. There are twenty eight of them. All deluxe boxes have featured factions. So for this one, all the corp cards are either. Haas Bioroid, or Neutral. There are no other Corp cards. And all Runner cards are either Shaper or Neutral. And there are no other Runner cards. Uh, those factions are the featured ones. And then in subsequent Deluxe boxes, all the other factions get their turn in the sun. Uh, of these cards, in this 55 cards in this set, 34 of them have received adjustments in Reboot. That's the vast majority of the Corp cards. 22 of the corp cards have received an adjustment and only one of those is a nerf. Let's talk about the nerf first. It is, of course, an HB card. It is the first card in the set, Cerebral Imaging, Infinite Frontiers. It has been changed from a 4515 to a 5015, so a minimum deck size of 50. The ability is your maximum hand size is equal to the number of credits in your credit pool. And we will get to why it needs to be nerfed a bit later on. All three of the new identities, because a deluxe box has three new identities for each side, is are by Emilio Rodriguez, as he swings into his ability to provide these large, vast landscapes and fancy futuristic buildings. I do like, we've covered him before in the Maker's Eye, I do like his art. Now, let's start to tackle the buffs. Uh, the first one is the next identity in the box, Custom Biotics, Engineered for Success. It has been changed from a 4522 to a 4528. Now, 28 available influence, but you cannot include Jinteki cards in this deck. The third identity, Next Design, Guarding the Net, has also received additional influence. It was previously a 4512, now a 4517. Before your first turn, so right at the beginning of the game, you can install up to three pieces of ice, one per server, then draw back up to five. A couple of agendas have received boosts. Project Wotan, a 5-3 agenda, you place six agenda counters on it when scored, used to be just three, and one of those counters allows you, when you spend it, a resed bioroid being approached gains an end-the-run subroutine. Sentinel Defense Program, a 4-2 agenda. Whenever the runner suffers a brain damage, do two net damage in addition. It used to be just one. The artist here, Ed Matinian. A few assets to talk about. Alex Talbot, I believe is how you're supposed to say that. It's 
T4LB07, a unique bioroid asset with a res cost of 1, a trash cost now of 4, changed from 2. It is also 1 influence. You place a power counter upon it, on it when you install a card. And for a click and trashing the card, you gain 2 credits for each of those counters. Cerebral Overrider is an advanceable ambush asset with a res cost of zero and a trash cost now of two instead of zero. It's two influence. When you access it, you can pay three. When it is is accessed, the corp can pay three credits and does one brain damage per advancement. Uh, Art here also from Ed Matinian. Director Haas. I was going to provide the flavor text from Director Haas as the uh, episode's title because... Uh, She's a unique asset with a res cost of three, a trash cost of five, and is five influence. That was kind of a big deal at the time because in the original core set and Genesis cycle, there were no five influence cards. Biotic Labor was four, Scorched Earth was four, Account Siphon was four. Now some of these have been changed to five in Reboot because they are so strong. So there was all this What's going to be the five influence card? How crazy is that going to be? Well, I mean, it is pretty crazy. For a res of three, you just get an extra click. That's pretty strong. However, the downside is enormous. If it is trashed while accessed, uh, Director Haas has added to the runner's score area as a two-point agenda. So that's a big downside. However, in fact, it was such a big downside, the adjustment for Reboot is it is now added as only a one-point agenda, which is much more palatable. Art here, typically, as t- typically true for uh, characters, Matt Zeilinger. Matt Zeilinger? Zeilinger. I don't remember how I pronounce it. Haas Arcology AI, another advanceable asset. The res cost of one used to be two, a little cheaper now. Trash cost of one, also four influence. However, you can only advance it while it is resed. Then, for a click and an advancement token, gain two clicks. You can only do this once per turn. So it's like a little biotic labor. Thomas Haas. This is our, this is our title card. An advanceable asset. The res cost of one, a trash cost of one. It's just one influence. When you trash Thomas Haas, you gain three credits. Used to be two. You gain three credits for each advancement on it. Art here from Matt Zeilinger. Bioroid Efficiency Research. A condition operation. Formerly cost three to res, now two. Condition, no, three to play, now two. Two influence. You can res a bioroid ice for free, then you install this card on it as a condition counter. And the condition is... If all of the subs on that ice are broken in one go, you trash bioroid efficiency research and de-res the ice. Art here, again, from Emilio Rodriguez. Successful demonstration, a transaction operation with a cost of two, only one influence, so Wayland likes to hear that. Play only if there was an unsuccessful run last turn, and then you gain eight credits. There used to be seven. So there's a net now of six as opposed to what it used to be, which was five. So before, it was a light, slightly cheaper Sure Gamble. A little better than Sure Gamble also, because Sure Gamble only nets you four. Now uh, quite a bit better than Sure Gamble, but it is just hard to, it's just hard to make it happen. And we have a bunch of ice, new ice in this pack, this expansion. Heimdall 2.0 is the first one. The bioroid barrier, the res cost has been dropped from 11 to 8. It is a strength 7 with 3 influence. And this is true of all of the 2.0 barriers. Just as with the 1.0, you can spend a click to break a sub. For the 2.0 barriers, you can spend 2 clicks to break 2 subs. Uh, You cannot, however, spend 1 click to break 1 sub. So that's the sticky part. And Heimdall has three clicks, or three subs. One does a brain damage, one does a brain damage and ends the run, and the third just ends the run. Howler is a trap ice 
Its res cost has been dropped from 1 to 0. It is strength 0. It is 1 influence. The subroutine is to install and res for free a bioroid from HQ or archives directly behind Howler. And then, after the run is complete, you de-res that ice and trash Howler. Ichi 2.0, a bioroid sentry, the res cost of 8, and a strength of 6 now, up from 5. It is 3 influence also, all these 2.0s are 3. Now the three subroutines on Ichi, trash a program, trash a program, and a trace 3 to give a tag and do a brain damage. The artwork here from Liga Smilshkane. Mine Layer, a code gate with a res cost of 0, used to be 1, and a strength of 4, it is also just 1 influence, and the subroutine on this one is to install an ice from HQ outermost in this server for free. And the, not the res it for free, but to install it for free. The artist here, Adam S. Doyle. Victor 2.0. So all of the core set bioroids get a 2.0 version here in this deluxe box. A bioroid code gate with a res of 5 and a strength now of 6, used to be 5, so one more, is also 3 influence. It just has two subroutines though. So see, that's a little bit worse. The first is a trace 2 to put a power counter on that. Power counters allow you to give a brain damage at will. And the other subroutine is and the run. And the last ice here that is boosted, buffed, Z1.0, a bioroid sentry with a res cost of 2, and the strength has been changed from 1 to 5. It is 2 influence and has 2 subroutines, each of which reads, if the runner has spent a click to break a subroutine during this run, give the runner a brain damage. And an upgrade, Tears Hand, the res cost has been dropped from 1 to 0. It is a trash cost of 1, just 1 influence. You can res it when a subroutine would be broken on a bioroid protecting this server, and then trash it to prevent that subroutine from being broken on a bioroid protecting this server. Three of the neutral cards also have received Buffs, Levy University, a unique asset. Its res cost has been dropped from 3 to 0. The trash cost is 1. And its ability is you can click and spend a credit to go find a piece of ice and put it in your hand. Seems nice. Server Diagnostics, an asset whose res cost has been dropped from 3 to 2. Also has a trash cost of 2. When your turn begins, gain two credits, but you have to trash it when you install ice. And Datapike, a code gate with a res cost of four, and the strength has been bumped from two to three, has two subroutines. The first one says the runner must pay two credits, or at least, or the end, or, or the run ends. And the second subroutine is simply a flat and the run. And so here now are the five cards that have not been changed. Uh, three of them are HB cards, the other two are neutral. First, Director Haas Pet Project, a 3-1 agenda with a limit of just one per deck. When you score it, you can create a new remote server with up to three cards from HQ and Arc or Archives, ignoring all install costs. So that could be three ice, it could be two ice and a card. It could be two cards and an ice. It could be all three a cards, you know, any, any version of those, but no install costs. This is another Matt Zeilinger art. Efficiency Committee, a 4-2 agenda on which you place three agenda counters when it is scored. For a click and one of those counters, you gain two clicks. So it's another version of biotic labor. Although with this one, the restriction is you can't advance cards this turn. So not exactly a fast advance card, uh, unless you're willing to fast advance a card that's just laying on the table already. No, you can't. You can't advance cards at all. Uh, well, that's okay. There are other shenanigans you can pull. 
Awakening Center, an upgrade with a res cost of 2 and a trash cost of 3, one influence. Awakening Center can host a Bioroid Ice, which is installed face down, there's no cost. And then after the runner passes an ice on the server with this upgrade in it, you can res the ice on Awakening Center, spending seven credits less, and then the runner has to encounter that ice. Not pass an ice, when they pass all the ice on the server. And then the ice is trashed. So it's a surprise, very cheap, probably very powerful ice to encounter. And then the two neutral cards that are not changed, Gila Hands Arcology, a 3-1 agenda, and this ability is simply click, click, gain three credits. The art here from Emilio Rodriguez. And the final piece of ice, Bastion, a barrier with a res cost of four and a strength of four, with a single subroutine that says, end the run. The art from Ed Matinian. Matrix Analyzer. Let's have some comments on the corp nerfs. Well, there's just one nerf. And buffs. So let's talk a little bit about the big nerf to cerebral imaging. Recall the nerf is instead of having a 45 card deck, you have to have at least a 50 card deck. So cerebral imaging was designed for combos. As long as you have a lot of money, you can have a very large hand size. We discussed in the last pack with future, in Future Proof for the NBN, The World is Yours Identity, where the change was from having one extra card to three extra cards for your hand size. Even that can be quite useful for putting combo pieces together. So imagine if you have an un, unaffectively unlimited hand size, well, you can draw almost your whole deck just to find the pieces you need. Uh, it's, any agendas in there are pretty safe because you're hand is massive. And then once you get all your pieces, you just do your combo and win. A user Shieldwall on NetrunnerDB said this, it's a combo ID. Why? Ask yourself, what do you need to launch a combo? To launch a combo, you usually need one, all the card that all the cards that are part of the combo, two, money to pay for playing those cards, Three, clicks to actually play all these cards. Well, you connect one and two directly just with your ID text. You can have all the cards in the world in your HQ as long as you have a ton of money. As for the third part, well, it's an HB ID, which means you have all the tools to add clicks to your turn in your faction. You have biotic labor, mandatory upgrades, efficiency committee, director Haas, uh, you probably won't use Director Haas or mandatory upgrades, but they exist, and they are in faction. So here you go. You can cook up some wild combo and draw for it like there's no tomorrow because you don't have to discard anything ever, and you don't need to worry if currently unusable combo pieces clog your hand. So combo decks in CI, cerebral imaging, certainly are theoretically interesting, but in practice... What they generate is what they call NPEs, negative player experiences. Since there's effectively nothing the opponent can do to disrupt your game plan. One of Reboot's main objectives is to eliminate as many NPE archetypes as possible. And the various CI combo decks, including versions where you use various fast advance cards to score out seven points in one turn, uh, using other cards coming up in the spin cycle, or even leverage SEA source and Scorched Earth, eventually became so powerful that even FFG took steps to errata and restrict pieces of it so the combo wouldn't be so overwhelming. So this is part one of that strategy in Reboot, uh, the different pieces that are a problem. Here's what the big boy says about the nerf. Some remaining CI combos require drawing your entire deck to execute them. These decks are fun to have around in small doses, but if they are too consistent, they can be game-ruining. 
this change makes drawing all the way to the bottom of R&D harder to pull off. Right? So you've got an extra five cards you have to dig through. Now I will share some thoughts on a handful of other cards in the set. Let's start with Sentinel Defense Program. So this is the one where you, every time the runner is hit with a brain damage, you give them two net damage. It used to be one. So it's, it's double. So previously it doubled, essentially, the damage on a brain damage ability. Every brain damage ability that said do one damage now said basically do two. NRDB reviewer Pikeman said that the card is, quote, way too conditional to ever be used due to its at least wording, right? So it's not every brain damage. It's when the runner suffers at least one brain damage. It does not combo well with cards like Cerebral Overrider because that deals its brain damage in chunks. You only get one net damage extra. While that's not completely horrible, it certainly doesn't justify throwing this in your deck, unquote. Ah, but see now, that singleton brain damage isn't just doubled, but tripled. So now, if you can, if a runner has a typical five-card hand, and you can hit land two brain damage, that's a flat line. It's hard not to think of cards like Janus in this context. Right, where the, each of those subroutines is an individual brain damage. It can be very dangerous, indeed. Cards with increased trash costs are just made a little less fragile, or, you know, a lot less. Alex Talbot's doubling from two to four makes her more likely to survive long enough for you to cash in on the uh, advancing that you're doing. And Cerebral Overrider, going from zero to two, Makes it sting a little for the runner to dispose of. I mean, there have definitely been plenty of times I've hit a snare and, uh, you know, maybe I'm just a bad player. I'm not going to argue that. But I said advancing Alex. It's not advancing. It's installing cards on it. Uh, but, you know, I've hit, I've hit a snare with no money. It's a good thing, too, because it doesn't cost anything to trash. Well, that's not going to work with Cerebral Overrider. Director Haas, I've already touched on her just a bit, but granting the runner only one point instead of two seems pretty enormous. Now, at worst, she's a biotic labor that costs one less. It's at worst because, uh, you know, you just spend, you only maybe get it for one turn and then she gets trashed. The downside has always been, even though she costs five to trash, which is a lot, You'd better protect her very well, or be getting a lot of bang for your buck if you're forking over two agenda points to the runner. But if you're only giving up one, uh, seems much more usable. Thomas Haas. This is the director's son, flavor-wise. Uh, we'll catch him up in the Astroscript pilot program. Now, he has seen a significant bump in power. Now, previously, I don't know, maybe this belonged to the data sucker section, but Imagine a situation where you install Advance Advance, Thomas, and then the runner runs that server on their next turn. You res the card after the runner passes the last piece of ice. Then you trash it, and you get four credits. Again, this is the original version. So you gained four credits. Well, not really. Because let's say you started with three in your pool, and you're not engineering the future for some reason. So you spend a click to install Thomas, you spend a click and a credit to advance, another click and a credit to advance, and then you spend one to res. So now you have zero credits. And then after you res him, you trash him, you go back up to four. So you started with three, now you have four. <laughs> so of course you didn't make four credits because if you just clicked for credits on that turn, you'd be at six. So essentially what, you, what have you done here? You've spent two credits to make the runner go after an agenda. Uh, thinking that it's an agenda. So they've had to go through the, your server, and maybe they've spent a lot of money on your taxing ice. So that's not useless, but it's not an economy card. And then what if the runner doesn't take the bait? Now, though, in the exact same play, after trashing him, you will have six, which makes you even with just clicking for credits. Plus, you got the runner to go into a server and 
if they don't bite. Now you have a decent piggy bank for as long as you want it to be. You're clicking for one and a half credits until you cash it in. You spend a click and a credit, and you gain three credits. So, it's quite a bit better. Just to briefly compare the 2.0 versions of, of ICE to their 1.0 versions, again, we'll come to this more in the data sucker section, Heimdall 1 was, you. the change was res for 8 to res for 6 in reboot. Heimdall 2.0, res for 11 to res for 8. All right, so that's a lot of numbers. So the, the res cost was reduced by 2 to 6 for the 1.0 and reduced by 3 to 8 for the 2.0. So now 2.0 costs what 1.0 used to cost. So Ichi 1 was not changed in reboot. Res 5, strength 4. Uh, Ichi 2 was res 8, strength 5, so now he gets an extra strength. Uh, so comparing the res cost for three more, previously got a bump of one in strength, now the bump is two. And, uh, and of course the trace is also more significant. Meanwhile, Victor's change was just on strength, increased by one from three to four for the 1.0, and now increased by one from five to six for the 2.0. Although I think this this, this increase for Victor 2.0 is less significant than the increase for Victor 1.0. Z 1.0, having its strength boosted from 1 all the way up to 5, actually makes it possible that the subroutine will go off, or at least it costs the runner to keep it from happening. But he's bordering on combo ice, by my definitions, because he needs to be on the inside, and ideally... Though he can combo with himself a little because there's two clicks on it. Another piece of bioroid eyes to be clicked through on the outside. And then what's the upside for that? You do one brain damage? Seems like a lot of work to do one brain damage. I mean, brain damage is not easy to do, but still that seems like a lot of work. At Levy University. Let's uh, quote here from Lupus Yonderboy on Netrunner DB. Ice Tutor. Levy University, you should have been so great if you weren't so crappy. Was the problems with you? You cost three credits to res, which could be acceptable if for the rest you ask for one more credit and a click to apply your effect. You send the fruit of your fishing into HQ, so I'd ask for one more click and credits probably to fully apply. You can't defend yourself. One credit is trash cost, so we must protect you to enhance our protection. Yes, so those are all problems. What could have been changed here? The reboot philosophy, as a reminder, is to change one number on the card. So you could have changed the cost to go searching for the ice. You could have changed the cost to trash the card. Uh, to trash, yes, to trash the card, to trash Levy University. Or you could have changed the cost to res Levy University. And so of these, the one that has been selected by Reboot Project is the res cost, dropping it from three to zero. So that's pretty powerful. Uh, you know, the only other costs were one. So you could have dropped the, increased the trash cost, I suppose, from one to three or four. But still, that three outlay for you to go searching, that's a lot. And then you couldn't really have dropped the use cost much because it was already just one. But does that change to the res cost make Levy University good? Uh, I think a better change would have been not to reveal the ice or maybe to install it directly. But then that sort of falls outside the purview of Reboot's mandate. It's an actual text change. And since it's not, I think the text changes are typically something that has to be done to really salvage a card that needs a heavy nerf, uh, like with AstroScript, for example. So, yeah, it's something. And let me also just mention Datapike. Its uh, strength has been boosted to three, but that doesn't even help it against Yogg. Uh, unlike Victor's, Victor 1.0's strength that was boosted from three to four, maybe that's the point. 
Uh, it doesn't matter if it, it like Yog maybe is still supposed to get through it. What's interesting though is it's a middle ground between pop-up window and toll booth. We look at the cost to uh, to res. Pop-up is zero. Data pike is four. Toll booth is eight. Look at the strength. Pop-up is zero. Toll booth is three now. Toll booth is five. Look at the effect. Basically, pop-up says pay a credit to end to avoid and end the run. Uh, Data Pike makes you pay two, and Tollbooth makes you pay three. So it's just a nice little set of cards there. It has its uses. Data Sucker, new ice and economy options, and there are a bunch. Uh, let's start with the eight new pieces of ice. Two, six of them are from House Bioroid. Two of them are neutral. Let me talk about the two, uh, I'm going to say worst ones <laughs> first, starting with Howler. Howler is a special use case. Howler is the one that if you, like when you, when you, the, when the subroutine goes off, it's a trap. When the subroutine goes off, it, you get to put a Bioroid behind it for free and res for free. So depending on what ice you manage to fetch with it, a howler could be anywhere potentially on our analog to binary and the run to taxing spectrum. It could be anywhere on there. I mean, it could be, uh, it could just be an easy piece of and the run ice. Because if you pop down a Janus and they don't have a killer out, they're just going to jack out. And that's kind of the fanciful situation. The ideal situation we think about maybe like, ooh, free Janus. But if the runner doesn't have the money or the clicks or the brain to burn or Crypsis to uh, break Howler, it's just a one use and the run. So it's not nothing to spend zero credits to install an ice from archives that you really wanted, but it's kind of only limited utility. Unless you stick it behind a whirlpool, I guess, then it could be fun. But now we're looking at a real combo piece because you need Whirlpool. Well, first, well, first you need Howler and then you need Whirlpool and then you need a third piece of ice that you want. So three, three card combos are a little dicey unless they're going to do something real serious. And while we're here, let's also talk about Mine Layer, which uh, puts a card on the outside of the server. So basically, it does literally nothing to hinder the runner if the runner just runs through it on that run, right? Costs nothing, does nothing. So in a way, it's almost more like an economy card than an actual piece of ice because all you're doing is saving money on future runs, on future installs. So you probably wanted the base of your you know, the innermost piece of ice. And then if it gets run, you get to install a piece of ice for free instead of having to pay a click and a credit. So that's not bad. And then the next time it's a click, you're saving a click and two credits and then a click and three credits. So, I mean, you're saving money and you're saving time and you're getting installs, but how many times is the runner going to let you do that? And how many times can you afford for the runner? to do that. So anyway, just in our, in our bucket sorting mechanism here, it's not, and the run, it's not taxing really. I mean, it's a, like a delayed tax, I suppose. Okay. Done with those two. Let's talk about the two new and the run pieces that we have, Bastion and Data Pike. So both are pretty straightforward as far as what they do. They end the run. Both cost the runner three credits with your uh, default breakers of Corroder and Gordian Blade. Uh, it's presumably the first sub on data pike will only ever go off once, right? Because why would they run into it and have to pay two credits? Yeah, so it's really just that. It's the first, the first res, maybe you get that two credits out of it. So since they cost three, we're going to put them on the bubble, right? They're not quite binary, maybe sometimes binary, depending on the runner's decks, one or, one or two credits is binary. Four or more is definitely analog. So they're right there in the same slot with Snowflake. So through creation and control, we now have 14 pieces of end the run ice. Five of them are binary, Ice Wall, Chimera, Enigma, 
rototurret, and wall of static. Four are on the bubble, snowflake, bastion, datapike, and tyrant, sort of. And five are analog, TMI, wall of thorns, Hadrian's wall, tollbooth, and archer. The other four pieces of ice here are taxing. They're all analog taxing, especially now that Zed has gotten his nice little boost from one to five. So he still he costs five for the baseline killer, Garot, which I know hasn't shown up yet, but we're talking here uh, two strength, boost one, break one, just like Corroder, Gordian Blade. Uh, Ninja does squeak by for only four. So this is a vast improvement in Reboot. Plays interestingly as the first ice protecting a server, even if it's the only ice, you have to spend two clicks to avoid a brain damage, since even just clicking away the first sub will trigger the second. So, uh, you know, two clicks to get through, that's, that's Eli, right? Eli, that's one of his advantages is it costs four clicks, four credits to break, even with Corroder. Costs two clicks to get through, even with Corroder. And the difference here is that Zed is a, is a, is only res two, whereas Eli is res three. So I think that's pretty, that's pretty good because who wants to take a brain damage, but clearly just taxing. Uh, Victor 2.0 costs either five or six to break five. If you decide to let the trace go off or two clicks. So here again, we're looking at Eli as the best ice. That's Eli efficiency on clicks. Always two clicks, but um, it costs two more to res. So, meh. Ichi 2.0 is seven for Garot or Ninja to tango with. Even Fairy needs four. And it's a three subroutine ice. That, so the runner cannot fully click through it because you have to spend two clicks. And so... Unless they have something like all nighter going on, uh, you're you'll they'll have to eat that lost program or a trace three, probably that one for a tag and a brain damage. Uh, so you know that's something. Again, it's taxing. Of course, early game Ichi, Ichi two early game. That program trash might not do anything, but you know probably you're not resing Ichi two early game anyway. And then Heimdall two is right behind Ichi on the, the taxing scale. It costs seven or eight uh, or two clicks. And then you either have this traceless brain damage or an end the run. It's if you spend two clicks, two clicks and an end the run or two clicks and a brain damage. So I feel like Heimdall is quite a bit better than Ichi. Heimdall 2 is quite a bit better than Ichi 2. Uh, just a little more expensive. So now through creation and control, we have 28 pieces of taxing ice. Interestingly, exactly double the number of end the run ice. Nine of them are binary, pop-up window, data hound, Burke bugs, shadow, matrix analyzer, neural katana, caduceus, and woodcutter and salvage. Four more are on the bubble. So they cost three for your garrot. Draco, Data Mine, Data Raven, and Hunter. And then the other 15 are Analog. Analog Taxing. Eli 1.0, Viper, Iroboros, Victor 1.0, Hourglass, Zed 1.0, Ichi 1.0, Flare, Victor 2.0, Cell Portal, Sherlock 1.0, Heimdall 1.0, Ichi 2.0, Heimdall 2.0, and Janus 1.0. That's a lot of Byroids. So I'll have an updated version of my ICE spreadsheet in the show notes. Okay, those are the new ICE options. There also are some new economy options, but I don't know. I don't remember the full data pool quite as well to, to think. You know, it just seems like all, like none of these are very basic. They don't function in a very basic way, which again, sort of reinforces the idea that the Genesis cycle was meant to be like Genesis and core were meant to be one unit, right? So that's why all the stuff in the Genesis cycle really is, uh, you know, there's some, there's some more advanced stuff in this set. And there may be some more, that's what I mean about not knowing this, the, uh, 
remembering the cards real well. There may be some more advanced, some more basic stuff in future sets. I just don't remember it. But let's talk about Alex Talbot. So again, as a reminder, her ability is to click and trash, and then you'll have gained two credits for each installed card, each card installed after you rest her. So if you're going to be installing a lot of cards, and you can protect it, this can really be a lot of money. I mean, it's just, you install a card, and you're going to get two credits for it later. I saw a CI combo deck, I'll link it, that wanted to install seven to nine cards on the turn before it starts scoring out agendas. Well, obviously, that would bring back a ton of money, though maybe you're already at a point you don't need it at that point. However, the math for how this, how much money you're actually making. So you're, you're going to have to click to install it, you know, where you could have clicked for a credit. You have to click to cash it out, where you could have been clicking for a credit. And you have to spend one to res. So if you've only installed one card, so you click, install it, res it. Inst- for your second click, you install a card. And for your third click, you cash out. Well, that's stupid. Don't do that. Because you've only made two credits, so you're actually down one from just clicking for credits in the first place. Well, anything more, though, you're going to have to leave it out for a turn. Leave it out for the runner to take a crack at it. So if you do, But if you do two installs and could potentially get four credits out of it, now it's marginally better than a click for a credit. However, if you can get three installs, cash it out for six, now it's equivalent to a hedge fund. And if you can manage four installs before you cash it out and make eight back, now it's very good. So the question is, can you do that? And is it worth jumping through those hoops to do that? Are you installing that many cards? Can you protect it? The trash cost going up from two to four will help for sure. Again, kind of a weird economy card. Thomas Haas is another weird economy card. I've talked about him a little bit already. Again, it's you can advance him, and then you get three credits once you trash him. But it's not click and trash. So you can wait until the runner goes all the way through and accesses, goes, gets ready to access, and then trash. Therefore, you can use him as bait if the runner thinks it's an agenda. But if you're just wanting to use him as an economy card, again, you're going to need to click to install him, spend one to res, and then if you advance him once, you've essentially spent two clicks and two credits to make three credits. So you could have just clicked for credits and had four. (laughs) So that's bad. Don't do that. Don't install advance trash. However, if you advance twice, so again, you're using them as bait, as I said before, cash them out for six credits. Now it's the same as if you just clicked for credits. As far as just looking at them strictly as economy, there can be other advantages too. Maybe that's worth it that you haven't in, you haven't lost any investment to bait the runner through. Maybe you've got a nice Whirlpool Howler Janus server you're going to run them through first. Then it's funny. At three advancements, uh, it's now slightly better than clicking for a credit. It takes four advancements to be worth a beanstalk and five to be worth a hedge fund. So, and a lot. I mean, there's a lot of time, six clicks and six credits. It's, it's like I said, probably better used as bait. Successful demonstration, which you can play when a run is unsuccessful, and then it costs two credits to get you eight. And this is just, I mean, it's just six credits. Or, you know, counting, well, I'll get to that. This is just very, very good. If, if you can reliably get the runner to have an unsuccessful run, which means mainly that either you get an end-the-run subroutine to go off or they choose to jack out. In practice, it's kind of hard to get a good runner to do that. But if you can... Uh, it's a much lower cost threshold than hedge fund. Two to spend is at a five. And then you get a 50% more money than hedge fund, right? A net of six instead of a net of four. Unless you want to do like I've been doing today anyway and playing the math that says you could have clicked for a credit, in which case it's 67% better than hedge fund because you're netting five instead of netting three. Server diagnostics, which gets you two credits at the start of your turn, has a res cost of two and a trash cost of two, and so really it functions like all of our campaigns. 
Eve and Adonis and Pad Campaign. Server Diagnostics is right there. Now, it has that huge drawback of going away once you uh, install a piece of ice. So, uh, that's dodgy. But if you can work around that drawback, is it worth it? So, you click to install it. It's two to res, just like Pad Campaign. And then Pad Campaign gains one credit forever, and Server Diagnostics gains two credits forever. This trash cost is lower, only two. It's the, the lowest trash cost of all of these campaign types. But, I mean, that obviously, if you can work around the drawback of the ice, and if you can, you know, protect it, it's going to pay out really nicely. Uh, comparably speaking, it takes uh, Eve campaign. Let's see. So Eve campaign will net you 11 by the time it completely runs out. 16 credits over 8 turns. But it costs 4 credits and a click. Server diagnostics over those same 16 turns will get you'll net you 13. So it's two better than Eve campaign if you can make it last for 18 for 8 turns. Adonis campaign will give you uh, 12 credits over 4 turns netting you 7. Server diagnostics is not quite that good. It only nets you five, but that's still pretty good considering pad campaign only nets you one over those same four turns. So, yeah, it's very, it seems very effective if you can work around the downside. And then the other economy cards, sort of mine layer, I already talked about mine layer, kind of functions like an economy card. Um, but I haven't considered other things that reduce the cost of ice or installs, so I'm not going to talk about that. And Gila Hands Arcology certainly is, because it now instead of two clicks getting you two credits, two clicks can get you three credits. So if you can get Gila Hands scored early, that can be very useful. The Maker's Eye. Daniel At- Atanasov. Atanasov. I'm not sure. As was true with this segment the last time, so it is true this time around. The only cards from this artist are in this set. They are Project Wotan, Victor 2.0, and Zed 1.0. And uh, this artist, uh, Daniel Atanasov, tends to draw more fantasy stuff. Uh, there's definitely a darker tone though, I think, to, to these pieces. That, that guy in Project Wotan, uh, I wouldn't want to meet him in a dark alley. And Zed seems really happy to play with brains. So, uh, anyway, I've got a couple links to his other work if you want to check it out. Many of the cards discussed in this week's episode are linked in the show notes. Music is from Alexi Action, the website, which... You know, still redirects to the Reboot Project homepage and maybe always will. I don't know. Netrunner2.1.com To play games online, go to retechie.fun to be more easily find games or to sign up for Reboot Winter Worlds coming December 30th. Head to the Reboot Discord server. And if you want, you can contact me. There are a number of different methods in the show notes. For the AstroScript pilot program, we are going to take a break from the worlds of Android, because Fantasy Flight has provided us some flavor in the creation and control insert. It's about Thomas Haas. Thanks for listening. See you next week, hopefully. Next time. Thomas Haas. To anyone who wasn't one of the top experts on AI supersystems, the columns of symbols and numbers would have been gibberish. Thomas stared at them, no longer seeing. He was supposed to be one of the top experts. Mother expected it. 
Fragit. He tossed on his 3D glasses and vegged out. The light was fading when he got bored with the 3D. The vastness of New Angeles spread out before him, the high-rises topped with a golden crown from the setting sun. A still picture, not moving, not heard, a postcard and monument to the greatest city in the world. Thomas thought about changing the view, throwing up a mosh pit or a war zone. He headed for the cooler and grabbed a drink of silo blue. He tossed it back and stretched out his neck. His secretary sounded in his ear. Molly was calling. He told the secretary to take a message. The voice went quiet. He loaded up his wardrobe on the door and flicked through his various options. Nothing to wear. He thought of hopping down to the waterfront, picking up something new. Maybe someone, too. The whisper of the door made him turn around. Hi, he said, masking his surprise as Helen drifted through the door. Is there anything I can do for you? She purred, her eyes a dead silver. Silver doesn't suit you. Thomas selected a platinum polysear jacket and pulled open his closet. The coat was there, hanging on a hook. He picked it up and tossed it on. When he turned back to Helen, her eyes were a misty blue. Does it suit me? he asked. She draped a finger along her lips and paused, as if thinking. Almost perfect, he thought. She could pass for human. The programming was really quite remarkable. He would know. It doesn't match your slippers. He kicked off his slippers and slipped on his loafers. I didn't think Mother would let you out of the lab. She didn't. This is our little secret. She took a step toward him, her hands running along the form-fitting white mini-dress that clung to her manufactured curves, a lone strand of blonde hair straying across her forehead. The quality of this model was high, the highest Haas Bioroid had ever produced, billions in neural nanoprocessors and synthetic flesh. The brain imaging alone cost about the same as a year's supply of helium-3. Thomas realized he was thinking of Helen as her, as she, not it. A bioroid that can pass as a human. He touched the pad worn on his wrist, and they were surrounded by a firelit beach, a thousand stars twinkling overhead. Never trust a bioroid with a secret, he said. He leaned into her, their lips almost touching, his hand cradling her face. With a deft move, he grabbed the back of her brain case and extracted the backup mem chip. Helen went still, her red lips inches from his own, beautiful blue eyes unblinking, staring straight into his own. Okay, mother, what are you up to now? He took the chip over to his rig in the next room and commanded the system to run a diagnostic. It took a full ten seconds to get the results. He stared at the screen for a long moment. Helen, he said, powering the model back up, how about a nice little jaunt upstock? The strobe lights were real. The orange room of the Castle Club was one of the most exclusive in the world. No androids allowed under any circumstances. Thomas slid the chip out from the pocket of his polyseer jacket, turning it over and over again in his fingers. He was watching Helen, out of the corner of his eye, chat up some ugly old man at the bar, downing whatever was put in front of her without hesitation. Some woman came up to Thomas, came on to him, maybe, 
She whispered something in his ear. He barely noticed, and she withdrew, looking hurt. It didn't matter. There was a thought gnawing at the back of his mind. A bioroid can pass as a human. With Helen, the sky was the limit. So why did it bother him so much? He pushed himself to his feet and headed toward the bar. He stopped as Helen turned her gaze on him. He could barely see it anymore, the machine behind the smile. Is she real? She blinked, and for a split second he saw himself reflected in the silver of her eyes. Then he was gone, and she was human once again. A bioroid can pass as a human. He grabbed at the back of his neck, digging his manicured nails into his flesh. They came away caked in flakes of skin. He breathed a sigh of relief. What a stupid notion. He flagged down a server, human, a human server, and ordered a drink. A bioroid can pass as a human. But Thomas Haas was anything but stupid. Time to get drunk.